having taken a decent break through the summer months, this morning we're again returned to a sermon series that we've been doing throughout most of the year, and that's our walk through the book of John. Reminding you that we're not just looking at these stories of John, but we're doing so under the guise of trying to figure out who is this Jesus that John is trying to reveal to us. And just to remind you in the context, as of late, uh, much of what we've seen about Jesus has been taking, around, uh, taking place around Jerusalem and the temple. We've been seeing Jesus at these different times of feasts and festivals, and he's been teaching and showing how he has come to fulfill those feasts and festivals. And his popularity had been increasing, but especially in light of his statement that he and the Father are one, his opposition had also been increasing. And in chapter 10, verse 31, we learned that the Jews had picked up stones to try to stone Jesus to death. If for if no other reason, that prompted Jesus to move from where he was in Jerusalem to the other side of the Jordan for some safety and protection. And that's where he had been staying when we pick up the story again in chapter 11 of John. And we'll be reading this morning John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. The whole script uh, text will be on the screen, or you can follow along in your pew Bibles starting on page 1066 says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was, Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard of it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had been spoken had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now... I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, 
your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As a kid, I hope I had an experience that many of you can share, and that was every once in a while when the wind was picking up in the spring, as a family, we would go out and buy a cheap kite and then fly it together. And oftentimes, those kites could really take off. And I remember at least one time in particular when the kite had caught the wind and it was pulling out faster and faster and going higher and higher that my dad, who was holding the string, tried to slow it down and grab the string and it quickly burned his hand and as a reaction, he, he let the string go. And then the chase was on. All of us realizing what had happened recognized that we only had a brief moment if there was anything that we were going to be able to do. And, and we took off after that spool that was still quickly unraveling. And in this particular case, we didn't make it in time. All that was left was the little cardboard wrapper and the kite flew off into the distance. We missed that brief moment that was available to us when the kite was close enough where we could still grab it. 
And in some ways, that's just an illustration of what happens a lot in life. That you can see that there's something tragic about to happen and you only have a brief moment of time when something can be done about it. But if you miss that brief moment of time available, then you know the thing will be too far gone and nothing can be done to get it, to get it back or to change anything. Well, as I said, as we've been working through this book of John, we have been looking for who this Jesus is. And we've seen over and over again, Jesus tell us who he is. And not only that, but show us in his actions. For example, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. But he didn't just say that about himself. He showed it by feeding 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread and fish. Jesus said that he was the light of the world, but he not only said that, he demonstrated it by opening the eyes of the blind. And back in chapter 10, the chapter before this, we had heard Jesus said, say that he was the good shepherd, the good shepherd that loses none of his sheep. And so when we get to chapter 11, we know what to expect, that there's going to be a scene where Jesus can demonstrate his care as the good shepherd that loses none of his sheep. And when we begin the text, it seems that that's exactly what we're set up for. We are told right away at the beginning of this chapter that there is this man named Lazarus, and there's just a few things that we learn about him. First, we learn that he's ill. Not just a little bit ill, but seemingly deathly ill. And second, we are told that Jesus both knows this man and loves this man. In fact, when word is sent to Jesus about him, his name isn't used. He is told that the one whom you love is sick. So the scene is beautifully set. We have a sick man who is loved by Jesus and who comes from a family that Jesus is loved by him and loves them He's desperately ill, and so Mary and Martha, his sisters, send for Jesus, and we know what to expect from this miracle worker and healer. But then we get to verse 6. And, and here, all of a sudden, we have a bit of a problem. Because instead of taking advantage of this moment given to go and help and heal this man, we learn in verse 6 that Jesus says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And, and you can't just overlook that fact. And because of that, I, I wanted to highlight that problem in this text for us this morning. Didn't Jesus know that the window for an opportunity to do something was extremely short? It was just this brief moment to be able to act. Any delay in getting to Lazarus would mean that Lazarus would be too far gone. The moment would have passed and there would be nothing that could be done. What happened? Why does he stay? And we ask that question because in his waiting, in his staying, it makes a difference. And whereas at the beginning of the text, we are introduced to Lazarus, the sick man, before we know it, 
We're no longer dealing with a sick man. We are dealing with a dead man. A man that by the time Jesus actually does show up, he's actually been in the grave for four days. Not an insignificant detail to this Jewish audience. We found a lot of writing that suggests that, yes, death was the end, but they believed in their mythology that the spirit of a person hovered around for three days hoping to return to this body. But by the time we get to the fourth day, then if there was any hope whatsoever, it was completely gone. So because Jesus stayed, Lazarus went from being someone who was just sick to someone that had absolutely no hope at all. And this waiting of Jesus doesn't escape the attention of Martha and Mary. When they go to see Jesus, first Martha on her own and then Mary on her own, both of them start with the very same statement. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And behind those words, we imagine an incredible amount of pain that had been building while they waited for Jesus. They had been there watching Lazarus, their beloved brother, slowly decline. They knew that Jesus was capable of healing him and believed in their heart that if he just showed up, something would be changed. That's why they had sent for him. And then there was these days of waiting. Can you picture the scene? Mary and Martha sitting in their house, going over and over in their head. Did we make it clear enough just how desperate this was? Doesn't Jesus know how important it is and how quickly time is fading? Where is he? Why hasn't he come? Doesn't Jesus care? And it's not just Mary and Martha that ask these things. The crowd, we are told in verse 37, asked the same question. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? The consensus is Jesus had missed his opportunity. Seemingly, he had chosen to delay, and he had delayed too long to now it was too far gone. This was his friend. This was someone whom he loved and who loved him in return. There had been hope. There had been an opportunity for Jesus to have done something. They had faith. They believed. They asked, and Jesus had stayed where he was. And part of the reason why I want to highlight that part of the text is because I'm pretty certain that all of us have been in that exact same situation as Mary and Martha. We've seen something in our life or in the lives of someone that we desperately loved. And we knew and believed that Jesus could do something about it and would do something about it. And so we prayed and we turned to him and we pleaded 
And it seemed like Jesus stayed where he was and didn't respond. And we hear the stories of what he did in the Bible and and we see answers to prayers in other people and we wonder, why? Where is he? And I think of all kinds of examples. I, I think of the single person who goes to wedding after wedding, a friend after friend, and and they so desperately want their own spouse, and yet it's never their turn. And they wonder, have I just been lost? I think of the husband and the wife who get married and, and love each other deeply, and yet the deepest desire of their heart is not to just be husband and wife, but to become a family And so they pray that they would be gifted with a child, and yet, Jesus stays where he is. The child doesn't come. And they wonder, have I been forgotten? Think of the family that has the child. It comes to this baptismal font and, and baptizes them as an infant, but as the child grows, despite the parents' best effort to keep the promises that they made at that baptismal font, they see their child drift further and further from the church, wanting nothing to do with God. And they pray. And they approach that great shepherd and they wonder, has their little sheep been lost? I think of the spouse that goes with their husband and their wife to doctor's visit after doctor's visit, and while they explore every option available, it doesn't seem to make a difference. And the spouse wishes that they could trade places, and and yet they see their loved one decline and eventually breathe their last painful final breath. And they wonder, where is that good shepherd that was supposed to walk with me through this valley? Again, I'm pretty sure that each and every one of us can put our shoes, ourselves in the shoes of Mary and Martha, waiting for Jesus to show up, having approached him in faith and trust and in prayer, and yet not seeing him come in the way that they wanted to. And again, the big picture question is, well, what does that do to Jesus' claim to be the good shepherd? Can Jesus say, Can Jesus stay where he is and show up after Lazarus is already in the grave four days and still claim that he loses none of his sheep? Didn't he lose this one? In staying, wasn't Lazarus now too far gone to do anything by the time that he arrived? But now, as much as we're able to relate and identify with Mary and Martha, we have to remind ourselves that the story isn't about Mary or Martha or even Lazarus. The story is about Jesus. And if and when we turn our attention off of the women and we turn our attention on Jesus, we ask that question again, what do we see in him and what do we learn about him in this story? The first thing we have to ask when observing Jesus is, does he look like someone who has lost control, who doesn't know what's going on, and who neglected or made a mistake in staying where he was? And the answer to that is no. 
Clearly, he does have a plan, and he is still in control. He is making these choices, and we get a glimpse of the reasons for his waiting when he tells his disciple, even from a great distance, we are going to go and awaken Lazarus. Furthermore, as we watch Jesus, we watch him make another claim about himself in the text. Not only is he bread and light and, and the door and the good shepherd, but in our text he says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's another incredible, bold claim for Jesus to make about himself. And it is a claim that if it is true, will affect everyone as one commentator on this passage said, think of it this way. If I said to you, I have the cure for MS, some of you would think, well, that's really wonderful. That's a great thing. But in the end, a lot of us wouldn't really care because very few of us are affected with MS or even know people who are. And so while it's wonderful, the impact is minimal. But in Jesus' claim to be the resurrection and the life, he is making a claim that affects all of us. Because all of us will one day have to face that day that Martha and Mary and Lazarus faced. And we know that the grave is all of our destinies. We also learn about Jesus by watching his reaction to the death of his friend. Verse 33 and then again in verse 38 of our text say that Jesus was deeply moved by the scene. A phrase that most commentators say is far too mildly translated but might be better understood as aggressively angry at the grave and at the circumstances. And we are told that because of that Jesus too wept. Jesus, more than anyone else there, who had witnessed Adam take his first breath of life, knew that the death of Lazarus with all other deaths were not the way that things were supposed to be. Death is and was the enemy. Death was his enemy. The one that he, the resurrection and the life, had come to fight and to destroy. And in the face of death, Jesus ached with his friends. He grieved with them and for them. He was there and he was weeping along with everyone else. Yes, he had waited. But that didn't mean that he didn't have a plan. And it certainly didn't mean that he didn't love them. And thankfully, it doesn't mean that he missed his opportunity. Because instead of letting death win, instead of thinking that Lazarus was lost and too far gone, Jesus, because he is the resurrection and the life, went to the tomb. And he asked that the stone be removed despite the protests. And he prayed to the Father, and then he said, Lazarus, come out. And a couple commentaries credited Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher, with the idea that he had to say Lazarus because if Jesus had just said, come out, he spoke with such authority that every dead would have come out of their graves and arisen. 
But Lazarus did respond, and he did, did come out. And it's amazing to see when all hope was gone, when everyone believed that everything had progressed too far, Jesus called the dead back to life. Now, there's a part of us that wants to hear from Lazarus. What happened? What was that like? How did you experience things? Where were you? But again, the story isn't about Lazarus. It's about Jesus, and what do we learn about Jesus and who he is? Well, he is the one that has all power and authority, not only over our health, our spiritual well-being, but over life and death itself. He is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though he dies, yet shall he live. And that is the incredible teaching of this text. When it comes to Jesus, even death is not too far gone. He has power over death. And that is life-changing news for all of us. Yes, we all will still struggle in this broken world. Yes, we have all sinned and constantly break our relationship with God. And yes, because of that, each one of us will one day have to face our physical death. And that will be the end of our story here. But for those that believe in Jesus, that is not the end of their story. Death for the follower of Jesus is just a pathway to a better life. And his call of Lazarus out of the tomb is a precursor to his own resurrection from the grave that won the final victory over death for us all. And so that when we put our faith in him, we can know that one day our names will be called as well. And instead of being condemned to eternal hell away from God, we will be welcomed into his glorious presence forever. And we who trust in Jesus, can live and die with that great comfort. And so for you, for you who fear that Jesus is waiting too long to answer your prayers or has been staying away, I want to be clear. I can't promise you that everything will get better all of a sudden and that you won't have to continue to fight difficult battles and go through hardships in this broken world. But I can promise you that God knows. That God has not abandoned nor neglected you. He loves you. He grieves with you. And he cares. But more importantly, in loving you, he sent his one and only son to the cross to die on your behalf so that in his resurrected glory we have the hope of our own resurrections to come. And that is the hope that we cling to and are encouraged by. So the only question that remains then is do you have faith in him? Do you believe Jesus when he says, I am the resurrection and the life? Does Jesus know your name? And have you put your life in his hands, in the hands of the one who says he has come to bring you life? If you wonder, 
Do it today. You are not too far gone. But the loving arms of Jesus are ready to enfold you and give you the hope that he has. Toward that end, let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, all of us have or do carry burdens in this broken world. And we bring those to you, often wondering if and how you will answer. And I grieve with those that struggle as they wait for your answers. But we also trust. We trust that as our loving Father, you know what is best and that you work all things to the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. And so we surrender in trust to you. And we trust that your glory will be shown. But we thank you that even through those trials, we have the ultimate hope given to us in Jesus Christ that you have won the victory even over death. And because of that, we surrender our lives to you. And we walk forward in trust, looking forward to that day when you will call our name and welcome us into your glorious kingdom. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.